2: Let's talk about those COVID variants that we had mentioned. A lot of discussion about that yesterday during the, uh, or I should say late last week during that modeling presentation from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. And we are warned about this, about what might happen if we don't shut down travel in and out of the province, right? The spread of COVID variants. More cases of those variants were actually announced at the briefing yesterday. Have a listen to uh, Global's Keith Baldry with more.
1: Our numbers are going in the right direction. Our hospitalizations continue to decline. The daily case numbers continue to decline. The long-term health uh, long-term care, uh, long-term care homes uh, outbreaks continue to decline. Our mortality rate is going down. But the variants are on the rise. And they're more contagious, they're more transmissible, and some of them are more dangerous than COVID-19. And now the new number today, we had 28 of them on Friday. We now have 40 total cases of the variants. 25 of them are the UK variant variety. 15 of those are in. Fraser. 15 South African variants are 13 in coastal, two in Fraser. One of the concerns with South Africa, we don't know how it got there. This number is now gone up significantly in literally just a few days. Dr. Bonnie Henry making the point today, we could be into a second pandemic if we're not careful. This is the proverbial game changer.
3: It does change the game in
4: some ways if it starts to take off and become dominant in the community. And I think all of us are dreading that. We've all been through this and you know, it's been over a year that we've been doing this. And it really takes us back to some of the things, the ways we were trying to manage the pandemic in
3: January and February of last year.
1: So the two other variants to be worried about as well, Sophie, the L452R uh, variant, which came out of De- uh, Denmark, is now very uh, rampant in California. And California, of course, is part of our supply chain with commercial truck traffic. The other one is the Brazilian vi- variant, which may be the most dangerous one of all. One case was located in Toronto over the weekend. Hopefully that none of that uh, gets to BC. But again, we've got a whole new problem on our horizon if we can't get the variants under control. Right now, not a lot to be worried about. Only three active cases so if people are in incubation period. But clearly, we're going to be keeping a close watch on these variant numbers in the days ahead to ensure restrictions can be eased rather than become heavier, which Dr. Henry says is a distinct possibility.
2: That is our Global's Keith Baldry talking about the variant situation. That's what everybody's keeping an eye on right now, right? You may be looking at just the pure numbers going, well, the numbers are going down. Why aren't they loosening the restrictions? The reason is they're getting a few of these cases popping up. And those are the ones they're trying to, well, they would love to get to zero on the if they possibly could. But again, there's still a couple of cases out there. Now, we're going to talk more about this with Health Minister Adrian Dix, who's going to join us later on on the show this morning. We'll talk about travel restrictions. And I know this is a big concern for health officials right now, the upcoming long weekend. Uh, this is normally, I mean, this this whole holiday, which was created by former Premier Christy Clark, was what, the ways to which to kind of boost The ski industry here in BC, too, right? The idea was that people would go skiing, take a three day weekend in February, and go do that. It's called Family Day. So, you know, go spend some time with your family, take a little mini break. They don't want you to do that this year. Uh, Among all the other things we've been asked to do over the last year, uh, no Family Day holiday is another thing they would like us to do. Uh, And for ski resorts, that's going to be tough. This was generally a day that they kind of counted on. However, You've probably been seeing some of the pictures that I have, too. There's no shortage of people skiing right now. The problem is the apres ski and what's going on after. Whistler's had a huge problem with this. We know Big White had a problem with this, too. Theirs was a lot of you know people just partying, having a good time after going skiing for the day. So how are they going to tackle this for family day when we know what the concerns are? This
1: is Mornings with Simi.
2: Having a serious case of deja vu listening to the news out of the United States this morning. We have been here before, haven't we? The second impeachment attempt of former U.S. President Donald Trump continues in Washington, D.C. It's going to get underway in earnest today. So let's find out what that's going to look like. Joining us now is Reggie Cicchini, our Global News Washington correspondent. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. So he's gone from Washington, but not gone from the like topic of news. Yeah, look, Donald Trump still
5: plays a big part in American politics, even though he's been gone for several weeks now. Uh, And at the end of the day, his party is going to uh, try to continue to keep him elevated to the stature that he was before he left office and not have any kind of political ramifications or political impact uh, for what Democrats accuse him of, which is incitement of insurrection.
2: Okay, so how is this going to work then? I mean, he's hired some lawyers, but is he going to show up and testify? Like what's going to happen today?
5: We So today is going to be all about the constitutionality of this impeachment. His team and Republicans have said, look, Donald Trump's not in office anymore, so therefore it's unconstitutional to try and impeach or at least convict a president who no longer holds office. There's obviously some precedent before this that has happened before, so that's kind of an argument that's losing the legs that it's been standing on. But also we have Donald Trump's team arguing at the same time that his speech is protected by the First Amendment, but at the same time that his speech actually did nothing to to incite the quote unquote insurrection on January 6. So this is just going to be a, a kind of a circular argument all day long. Democrats have the majority. This is going to continue on into tomorrow.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of um, a lot of stories that they've got lined up there. How, what is the mood like in Washington these days then, Reggie? I mean, have, have lawmakers, other than the Democrats, of course, on the Republican side of things, have they moved on from this? Some of them have, uh, but look, during the last time this was on the floor as to whether or not this was
5: actually going to move into a trial, five Republicans did join Democrats and say Donald Trump needs to be held accountable or at least the evidence needs to be allowed to be introduced. So there is a fracture in the Republican Party, uh, and it's, it's kind of interesting to watch this to see whether or not Republicans are trying to hide behind the Constitution as a way to absolve themselves from actually having to go on the record to hold Donald Trump accountable for what happened on January 6th or whether they still just think Donald trump controls the strings of this party uh, and they want to see him continue on because if he's there he can't get in their way and he may not stop their political future so there's a lot kind of of of, um you know self-finding inside of the republican party right now and we'll see what happens to this party as the days of this impeachment go forward
2: so is he still kind of pulling the strings of the party how involved is he
5: well, I mean, look, last week he held a phone call with Marjorie Taylor Greene, the self-described, you know, former slash current QAnon supporter uh, that is a representative for Georgia. He gave her full endorsement. Uh Kevin McCarthy, a minority leader, went down to Mar-a-Lago to kind of talk to him and, and say the Republican Party still stands behind him. So there is still political fear that Donald Trump can gin up the support within the Republican base to potentially go after these people. But you have to remember, Republicans don't want to hold Donald Trump accountable. At the same time, Donald Trump wants to hold these Republicans accountable if they go after him.
2: Are they? Yeah, exactly. Are they a little afraid of like, well, the base is still there. What if he comes out against them?
5: Yeah, of course. Nerves are playing big here. But this is the thing that Democrats are trying to look to Republicans and say, Donald Trump, A, shouldn't be given a pass just because he's no longer in office. The words that he spoke up to and including uh, the day of of the riot should uh, have uh, he should be held responsible for that. But also at the same time, they're looking at the Republican Party saying, figure out where you are right now. If Donald Trump is no longer the leader of this party because he's forced uh, out and not able to run again, you have free reins to reshape this party as you want. Those are back room conversations happening in the Republican Party, because they're trying to figure out what do they do post Trump? Do they still embrace it? Or do they try to put somebody else at the top and say, let him go do what he wants now?
2: Have they started the kind of revisionist part of the how the the way this works in terms of what happened on January the 6th? Because we heard, you know, some Republican lawmakers speak differently post January 6th the way than what they're speaking now.
5: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, when Donald Trump was still in power, it was trying to dance around the topic. Now that he's not in office anymore, they're trying to say, look, let's leave, you know, let's leave things in the past that were in the past. Let's try to move forward. Uh, And again, you know, it's questionable as to why Republicans are trying to change their tune right now, whether they want to believe Donald Trump was responsible, whether they don't want to believe Donald Trump was responsible. At the end of the day, they're only going to be able to hide behind the Constitution so long because Democrats, while they may not call witnesses, this trial is going to show video evidence and it is going to be the evidence that many of these lawmakers were witness to on the day of that riot. But at the, also, uh, at the end of the day, they're also going to be witness to the words that Donald Trump spoke after the election that, conti- that continue to gin up that anger of, you know, this election was rife with fraud. This election was stolen. So they're, the Democrats are really trying to paint a picture to say, you can't keep changing your stories. Here's how things went. Uh, here's how things went down. Here are the words yeah. that you can listen to.
2: OK, so how long is this process expected to take?
5: The last one took 21 days. We're hearing that this could be wrapped up by Monday with an acquittal vote. Today is just about Constitution. 16 hours uh, of debate for each side starting tomorrow. If this goes through the weekend and they don't call any witnesses, that doesn't have to go to debate. This could wrap up sometime uh, Monday, possibly Tuesday.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Reggie. Thanks. This is Mornings with Simi. What to do about Granville Street in downtown Vancouver? It has been talked about, discussed, debated for years now. Well, today, Vancouver City Council is going to receive a huge report related to the future of Granville Street. Uh, social housing, sustainable design. I mean, this document has all of that in there. It touches on a lot of different parts of the downtown retail and entertainment district. So joining us to talk about his thoughts on this is the president and CEO of the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association, Charles Go. Good morning, Charles. Good morning, Sammy. So what do you think about this plan? I've seen a lot of pictures and a lot of renderings of what this could look like. Is this what Granville Street needs?
4: Well, it needs more commercial um, development as well. And our organization has been stating this for years. Uh, For example, when we saw Deloitte move into the former Tom Lee Music Building in the 900 block of Granville Street, bringing about 600 employees down there during the day, it made a huge difference uh, to the retail and restaurants in that area. And we believe that uh, part of the fix is uh, we need more commercial developments. We need more office buildings, and we need more hotels in that area. And somehow we need to get beyond the 90-foot height restriction that's currently in place, and we need to allow more density um, on Granville Street just to bring more vibrancy during the day you know, we know it's a very busy place on the weekends and on the evenings, uh, but we need to bring a more daytime population there.
2: And so do you think this is a time to make that happen? Like, does is this a time to make that kind of change?
4: Absolutely. Uh, there is a proposed development in the 800 block of Gramble Street uh, by Bonus Properties uh, that would do exactly that. It would bring between 2,000 and 4,000 employees into the downtown, uh, specifically on Gramble Street. Uh, the developer there is really anxious to get this project through, hopefully get it approved this year. Um, uh, however, you know, it doesn't fit into the current regulations. Uh, and this is just opposed against, uh, you know, what council will be deciding today, which is, you know, let's change the rules uh, to allow more housing on Granville Street. Um, but at the same time, let's go through a, you know, one-two-year planning process uh, to talk about, you know, what do we do with the balance of Granville Street?
2: You know, I'm struck by what you just said there, Charles. Though you said hopefully it would get approved this year. This year, it's barely February, and we're like, does that just illustrate to you though how long it takes to get something done that might be beneficial?
4: Uh, yes, uh, and, and we want to emphasize like we need a sense of urgency here. Um, not only is uh, Granville Street need uh, a shot in the arm, uh, needs an opportunity uh, to be something different. Um, but um, yeah, we're also going to be coming out of a pandemic, fingers crossed. Um, and, you know, what it reminds me of is, you know, the urgency that we had uh, leading up to the 2010 winter Olympics. And uh, we got a lot done in the years leading up to that, In you know, coming out of a recession as well. And so we think the same sense of urgency is required uh, to affect change on gravel street right now. We have the time to do it in a slowdown in the economy, and we want to support jobs, construction jobs, and uh, engineers and architects and planners. Uh, this is the time to accelerate uh, some of the projects uh, that developers are coming forward and prepared to invest uh, in money on Granville Street. And uh, we, we don't have the luxury of waiting.
2: You mentioned that there's, uh, the project that's being debated today also involves uh, more housing on Granville Street. Is that something that you think Granville needs?
4: Yeah, we think that this is slanted too much towards uh, residential. Um, You know, we know residential is beneficial uh, and it can assist. But, you know, the tenure that I've had with the organization, uh, we were promised that uh, all the residential development on Howe and Seymour would help lift up the businesses on Granville Street, and we haven't seen that. Uh, So we don't think housing is a solution entirely for this particular Uh, Street, We think it needs to be a mix. We have a lot of businesses there uh, that need support, uh, the retail and the restaurants. And uh, again, as I cited earlier on in the interview, uh, the 900 block of Granville Street with the introduction of 600 employees there uh, last year made a huge difference for all the businesses.
2: Does Vancouver really have a central entertainment kind of street that everybody flocks to? I know at nighttime, as you mentioned, yeah, they go to Granville Street, but where's the center of the city, do you think, during the day?
4: You know, I think it it shifts, and and I think it's localized in a lot of different neighborhoods. I mean, you know, some people like to stay in their own neighborhoods and freak with it, but I think we've seen the emergence of a number of different entertainment districts and places that people like to congregate and socialize. Um, but I think Gravel Street will still play that role, and that's the other issue. I mean, do we want to add more residential in an entertainment district? You'll recall many years ago, late 1990s. You know, we moved all uh, the nightclubs out of Yale Town yeah. and concentrated them on Gravel Street because we wanted to avoid those day- those nighttime conflicts. Um, and and so, now you want um, to put housing
2: on Gravel Street? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that you know it just seems to to be slanted to achieve housing goals. Uh, that the city is is trying to attain, and we would agree with that. We do need more housing, um, but not convinced that we need to do this in an entertainment district.
2: Yeah, I can see why a lot of people would agree with you on that one. So what are the next steps here, Charles? Is your group going to be speaking at City Hall about this?
4: Well, we won't have an opportunity today because it's going to be referred to a public hearing if Council agrees to that, to these uh, changes that would allow more housing on Gravel Street, Uh, We have submitted a letter. We've expressed our concerns. Um, Thankfully, staff did take us up on doing a a long-term vision for Granville Street. Uh, But we don't want that long-term vision process to delay major projects that could really transform the street, like the proposed development by Bonus Properties. Uh, You know, again, um, that money can go anywhere, right? They're prepared to invest that right now in Granville Street to save heritage buildings, provide more venue space uh, for the Commodore, uh, to provide more venue space for the Orpheum. Uh, you know, it's a win-win on so many fronts. And uh, I hope that when that proposal comes forward to Council, that they approve that, and then we mm-hmm. can still work on the visioning process for Gravel Street. But I think there's a lot of reasons why Council should support the bonus project in the 800 block of Gravel Street.
2: We'll see what happens. Charles, thank you for your time today. Okay, thank you, Simi. Charles Gauthier is the president and CEO of the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. If I had a nickel for every time we have talked over the years about redoing and rehabilitating Granville Street, I wouldn't, I'd be retired by now, essentially. Uh, but they're at it again, but this time sounds promising. Uh, with City Council talking about housing for Granville Street, other organizations saying, no, 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 we need to focus on kind of really getting it more vibrant with more businesses during the day uh, to really attract more people too. What do you think you can email me Simmy, at cknw.com this is
0: mornings with simi this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify pos has everything you need to sell in person
2: Nothing much has changed in BC. We are still under the same health restrictions, right, that were introduced late last year as the second wave of the pandemic really took hold. But now as we're getting into concern of these new variants that are out there, some provinces are actually changing things. For instance, in Ontario, they're going to be loosening some of their restrictions in some regions this week. Let's talk to Global News, Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Travis Danraj about that this morning. Good morning, Travis. Morning, Simi. So what kind of restriction loosening are we talking about here?
6: Well, listen, this isn't going to be swinging all the doors open for businesses right across the province immediately. This is going to be a a slow-phased approach. It's going to be a regional approach like we saw here in Ontario back in the fall. Uh, And they are going back to this colour-coded system that they uh, unveiled in the fall. Essentially, uh, different zones would be color-coded different, you know, uh, colors like red or orange, and with those colors come, uh, you know, a a number of different restrictions. So yesterday we heard from the Premier that three uh, areas in the province uh, around Kingston are moving into the green zone on Wednesday, which essentially means that uh, non-essential businesses will be able to open up, restaurants will be able to open up, and life will get back to some semblance of normalcy. But for the rest of the province, they're going to have to wait a little while, and especially in the hot zones.
2: Okay, so I guess we we forget over here in BC about the kind of restrictions that you guys are under there. I mean, can you go eat out at a restaurant? Can you go to the gym? Like, what yeah. what are you actually allowed to do?
6: Yeah, we are right now uh, in pretty much a complete lockdown. Uh, we, there's a stay-at-home order in place right across the province. This was enacted uh, on Boxing Day, and it has remained in effect uh, and will remain in effect until tomorrow, uh, it, it, except in those three regions. It's going to stay in effect uh, pretty much until uh, almost the end of the month in Toronto, uh, you know, Mississauga, the Brampton, and York region, that's Markham, uh, et cetera. So, uh, I mean, pretty much the, the message from the government has been, you're staying home. For now, um, you know, gyms are closed. You can't get a haircut. I attempted to do that to myself the other day. It didn't go so well.
3: <laughs> um, so, 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 yeah. So,
6: I mean, I think the news yesterday that that there will be some easing of restrictions gave folks some reason for optimism. But as I said, it's not going to be uh, immediately
2: right. Like, isn't there a concern in Ontario about these emerging variants as well and the potential for spread?
6: There, There is, and so, you know, the Premier addressed that, as did the Health Minister yesterday when they announced this kind of phased uh, reopening. I guess they're, they're not even recalling it a reopening. They're very cautious about the language. They say that they're going to be easing the restrictions, but this should not be seen as a reopening in any sense. But when it comes to the variants, because we do have the South African variant here, we have the UK variant, and now there is a case or two of the Brazilian variant, uh, they're, they're putting in this measure, they're calling it an emergency break. So if they move an area, say, into the green zone and ease restrictions to allow for you know, restaurant, dining, et cetera, and they see that the case numbers in that region are you know, heading upward when it comes to the variants, mm-hmm. they can put the brakes on immediately and put that area back into lockdown.
2: All right, we'll see what happens. Travis, thank you for your time this morning. All right, me take care. Good luck getting that haircut. It's Travis Donraj, Global News, Queen's Park Bureau Chief in Ontario. Just listening to Travis, though, talk about what they're not allowed to do in Ontario does make me think, well, we are really lucky here in BC. We don't realize how lucky we are. Uh, schools are still open. I know there's a lot of debate about that, but we've tried to, you know, push through that school year. Uh, you can get your haircut. There's a lot you can do here in BC that right now you just can't do in other provinces and still keeping a very close eye on those variants that are moving around in the community. This is Mornings with Simi. More cases of the COVID-19 variants announced at the press briefing yesterday. We know that health officials are already concerned about that and now looking ahead to the long weekend, any issues that that might cause. So let's talk about all of this now with the help of Health Minister Adrian Dix, who joins us now. Thank you for being here.
7: Hey, good morning, Simi.
2: Are you worried about the long weekend?
7: I'm worried about everything, but I'm worried about the long weekend, of course. Uh, This is a long weekend where everybody has to follow public health guidance and public health orders that non-essential travel should absolutely not happen. Where in our homes, we need to continue to socialize with people in our households. We've reduced in the last period, and that's because of the good actions of people. We've reduced the transmission of COVID-19 somewhat. But over the last three days, it was still between 400 and 500 cases a day. And we have issues of these variants, which can be dealt with and we need to deal with in the same way as COVID-19, by reducing transmission, by reducing our contacts, or reducing our infectious contacts. So this weekend has to be... Uh, for a family day weekend, I know it's a good t- time for many people to get away or move around or see see loved ones they haven't seen in a while. But this weekend, we have to treat it differently. We have to treat it like we treated the Christmas period, and be MP uh, uh, very, very careful.
2: Do you still do you think that like between 400 and 500 cases, as you said, the last three days, still too high for all the things that we're doing here in BC?
7: It's way too high. Uh, of course, the number of cases is too high. It is, of course, better than six to seven hundred cases, and is going in the right direction. And there are a couple of other things that are going in the right direction. We've seen a hospitalizations drop from the beginning of January at three hundred eighty-one to two hundred thirty-four yesterday. The number of outbreaks in long-term care and assisted living from forty-nine to seventeen yesterday. Within a few weeks, so these are positive trends. But uh, there's still a significant transmission and the concern with the variants is that they could, uh, they would serve to spike that transmission again as they have in some other countries in the world. So this is a time to be cautious. We have good news about the effect of vaccines. The vaccines themselves are working when we have them. We don't have enough of them yet and we're not going to for some time. So this is a crucial period where a lot of our loved ones are at risk and we have to continue. In spite of being tired of this, to do what we've done in the last month to reduce transmission.
2: Are you worried then, given all that, about what you hear happening up in places like Whistler? Because people are clearly going to Whistler, staying in Whistler, and having a good time in Whistler.
7: Well, that's why some action has been taken. Significant enforcement action the previous weekend to this one and this weekend. And a lot of effort now by the ski industry to reduce transmission. There was a push In Whistler, there was a lot of cases in Whistler in November and some action was taken. We saw in the summer in Kelowna a lot of cases, action was taken. And so uh, everyone in Whistler, I think, is working hard to reduce transmission. But everyone else has to reflect about their own activities. It's not just a question of whether one can do something, but whether it makes sense right now. And what makes sense right now is staying close to home.
2: Uh, Do you have updated Whistler COVID numbers? I know this came up yesterday and you were going to be getting them.
7: Yeah, and I'm going to, I think, be uh, providing them. They're going to get them for me this morning, and I'm going to be putting them out so that everyone can, can see what's happened in the last number of days, yes.
2: Okay, so... But,
7: but suffice, suffice to say, it's not just Whistler. I just want to add the I mean, to because, you know, the, the Whistler signifies different things to different people. It's Fernie, right, where, which is a ski area where some of the activity after skiing has led to the same thing. It's Big White where we've been seeing that for a month or so. So these occasions, and it's not the skiing. People don't get sick while skiing. They get sick after the skiing when they come together to party.
2: Now, we've heard that Alberta, next door, is going to be loosening some of their restrictions over the next couple of weeks. Does that worry you, given that some of this is travel from other provinces?
7: Well, uh, the, the actions of other provinces do have an impact on us. There's no question about that. And here in B.C., we look at those numbers, the numbers that we saw yesterday, which were roughly 400 cases a day, 234 people in the hospital, 13 people, alas, passed away on the weekend, and we say that we have to continue our path. Now, some provinces like Ontario, which are loosening restrictions, and that affects us too. A lot of people travel here from Ontario, right? They're loosening restrictions to where we are now in many cases. In Alberta, there's a listing of restrictions, and we're going to have to see. But again, our message to people uh, from Alberta and from B.C., uh, that non-essential travel is not a good idea right now. And So if people are traveling from B.C. to Alberta, or from Alberta to B.C., unless it's for essential reasons, for work reasons and so on, uh, they shouldn't be traveling right now.
2: Will there be more enforcement this weekend?
7: I think uh, we, uh, we have an effort at enforcement, particularly targeted at areas of higher risk. So you're going to see that in, uh, in what you call vacation sites or winter vacation places such as Whistler. Absolutely. But I think what we really need this weekend, and we saw, I think, a good indication of this on Super Bowl weekend. I want to credit the bar and restaurant industry, which understood what was at stake and made a series of, I think, good decisions on the whole. And the result was a better weekend. There's a lot of concern about Super Bowl. Now we're on to family day. There's a lot of concern about that. And we really have to, all of us, be part of this and say that right now there's considerable risk. There's hope on the horizon. Let's not make a mistake now that could affect our loved ones.
2: Hope on the horizon being vaccines. But what have you been told about vaccine delivery? Is that picture going to get better soon? Uh,
7: I think so. And I think in a month, we're going to be talking about the many hundreds of thousands of doses of vaccine that are with us. And are we delivering them? And there'll be lots of questions about that in a month. Right now, though, in the last couple of weeks, there's been very little vaccine. We've been focused on acute care and vulnerability. So it's the people the most vulnerable getting the vaccine. And some of it is trickle. Then we hear there's better news on the horizon, but until we have the vaccine in our hands, we, don't, we just have to prepare for whatever amount comes. But our expectation is we're going to have a large amount very soon, and that means we're going to be able to start to to vaccinate in the general population, starting with people over 80, and that's going to happen, we believe, in March.
2: Our, our testing right now is that focused on you know finding these variants? Is our contact tracing focusing on that?
7: Well, it's two things. Yes, uh, the answer to is that is yes. The contact tracing is, and there's there's uh, testing to to um, to find out the variants as well. But our regular testing continues on, and if people are feeling ill and need to be tested, they should go and get tested. Because it's not well. There's 40 cases of the variant, the majority of which have been resolved. People have recovered. Right? That um, there's still. Uh, hundreds of cases a day of COVID-19, and people need to get tested and then to, and to self-isolate if they're feeling sick and never, never, never go to work sick.
2: So what should we be at then? You're saying we're still a little too high. I think a lot of people feel that, that numbers aren't really coming down much anymore. What would make you more comfortable?
4: Well,
7: I think a continued decline in hospitalizations. We saw, because of the challenges in long-term care, significant mortality. So we like, we want to see both of those factors continue to come down so that we have fewer outbreaks uh, or down to close to zero outbreaks, which is what we're hoping for in long-term care. Less outbreaks in acute care, which reflects what's going on in the community, so we want to see that. And we want to see just much much many, many fewer um, cases of COVID-19. If you remember back four months ago, And I said to you when we were running at a much lower level five months ago or six months ago, and I said, oh, we're going to have 400 cases of COVID-19. I think that would have been shocking. We've got used to these higher numbers, but we need them to continue to come down. And so I think the trend is important too. As long as we're continuing to trend down, as we have been, then that's a sign that what we're doing, all of us are doing together, is working. So that's what I'm looking for right now. Continue to trend down, And if that happens, there are some possibilities available to us, including loosening restrictions, but we're not there yet.
2: All right. Thank you for your time this morning. Hey, anytime. Take care, Simi. This is Mornings with Simi. Right now, though, another story that we're going to be talking about today has to do with the Surrey Police Department. Not even fully up and running yet, but a member of the Surrey Police Board is resigning his post already. Former Vancouver Police Deputy Chief Bob Roll says he's moving to Vancouver Island, which means his position is going to be vacant. Joining us to talk more about this is former BC Solicitor General Kashid. Good morning.
3: Good morning, Simi.
2: Are you surprised to hear this?
3: No, given the conflict that's occurred. With this uh, failed experiment of the transition, some of the conflict within the board, I'm not surprised at all that uh, someone of Bob Rolls's caliber has decided to leave his position.
2: So you don't think it's just a simple matter of I'm moving and I don't want to do this anymore?
3: No. Look, we, we operate Parliament uh, through Zoom. I'm sure if uh, that was the case, we could uh, certainly run certain uh, service board meetings over Zoom. Uh, Bob Rolls is a highly qualified He's uh, experienced this right from the beginning, from day one. He's got board governance experience, and he's a totally dedicated individual. I've known him for 45-plus years, and I've worked with him for 32 years. He is absolutely qualified, and he gives his heart and soul to trying to make something be highly accomplished.
2: So then what do you think is the problem here? Like, what has gone wrong in your mind?
3: Conflict conflict within the board i think a lack of communication we seem to have lack of communication uh since the mayor has taken over i as you know i was a proponent of reforming policing and looking towards this but this has failed and it's due to the communication. It's due to the mayor's lack of not only communicating with his council but communicating with the constituents of surrey on how to do this and i wouldn't be surprised if he's not even communicating with his board members in surrey
2: So this thing hasn't even gotten off the ground yet, though. Cash, how could it have gotten so sideways so quickly?
3: Failed. It's a failed experiment. What we've learned from this, Jimmy, is yes, we need police reforms, but we know it cannot be done through independent administration of policing. That is clear given the fact that because of this, are exorbitant they're uh, they're increasing weekly if not daily based on what is going on the confusion is absolutely adding to the perpetuation as why we cannot do this i think at the end of the day this is going to be a very very costly experiment if it succeeds for the taxpayers of Surrey. I'm estimating a quarter of a billion dollars. And what are you going to get at the end of the day? Maybe a different colored uniform to me because what I have noticed and what I'm privy to is there's not much change coming from what you have. You may be better off with what is going on in Surrey right now.
2: So what they've done so far then, the hiring and everything, does it? Does it? you're telling me it's not going to be any different? I thought the whole idea was that the structure would be more like what you have in Vancouver or what, like municipal police departments.
3: Well, I would have thought that, too. But when you have a, someone of Bob Rolls's caliber resigning with his extensive experience in municipal policing and the fact that you've got three leaders that are uh, former RCMP officers, that are in charge of it and the fact that you are not building your model with the community and that's the important part we recognize the need for change but you have to build it with the people that you are going to serve when you don't communicate with them when you don't consult with them you build it from the top down that is a route to failure
2: okay so what would it take to get it back on track at this point I'm not sure it
3: can get on track. I think the government, the provincial government has to seriously look at this. And again, I've advocated for over 20 years for a regional type approach to this. And I think talking to some of the elected member in municipal government at this point in various municipalities, it, it, we're closer to that discussion. I thought we would have been closer 20 years ago, but we're getting a little bit closer because we know with the, uh, the problems in policing, not only here in Canada, but elsewhere around the world, that people want the change. They want more accountability. They want more effectiveness, and they want it to be done in an efficient fashion. And the only way, based on my experience and my research, is by amalgamating, by bringing the balkanized system we have in Metro Vancouver together so we can garnish not only accountability, but economies of scale.
2: Well, Cash, thanks so much for your time on that this morning.
3: My pleasure.